Republicans to wake up is... What the Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Uh, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. No corporate filter here. We use a slightly worn coffee filter occasionally. Welcome to a fresh edition of the Peter B. Collins Show coming to you from San Francisco. And this program is supported by Lee Ann Rayer, Bruce P. Enbody, and Susan Fellows. They set an example for you because they voluntarily subscribe to support this program. You can do it, too, at PeterBCollins.com. Just click on the tab that says You Can Help. Our voluntary subscriptions start as little as $5 a month. Our intro music today from an, well, a pretty obscure 80s band called The Silencers. And the song is called Painted Moon. And in today's program, we're going to talk about Reverend Sung Myung Moon. And in particular, the Mooney paper, the Washington Times. In my secret studio here in California is author John Gorenfeld. He published Bad Moon Rising, subtitled How Reverend Moon Created the Washington Times, Seduced the Religious Right, and Built an American Kingdom. Welcome back to our microphones, John. Always a pleasure. Good to talk with you. And joining us from Washington, D.C., a regular contributor to the Peter B. Collins Show, the founding editor at ConsortiumNews.com, Robert Perry. Hello, Bob. Hi, Peter. Good to have you back, and uh, always nice to talk with you. Let me start with you, Bob, because you published a lengthy piece, and uh, let me just say by way of uh, a, a quick sidebar that a listener emailed me about two weeks ago and said, there's this guy you really got to have on your show. His name is Robert Perry. And uh, I gently wrote back to the guy that uh, Bob's been on numerous times and we're well acquainted. Uh, but then I went to your website and you hadn't posted for a while, and I think I know why now, because uh, you've been working on this lengthy piece about the Washington Times, about the history of Reverend Moon, the way he has burrowed into the American political system. And how far back do you go in following the uh, American activities of Reverend Moon and the Unification Church? Well, basically, if you remember, Peter, I was with the Associated Press in the 1980s and was one of the early reporters, I guess in some sense the first reporter, dealing with some of the all over North uh, secret operations. And that and working with my colleague Brian Barger, we did the first story about contra drug trafficking back in 1985. And what we kept encountering were, were these attacks from the Washington Times, this right-wing newspaper that had been set up by Reverend Moon in 1982. Uh, and it was this curiously funded operation that was essentially a Republican propaganda sheet. And it would, it would target people in the mainstream press or in Congress or elsewhere who were uh, causing trouble 
for Reverend Moon's friends, in this case, people like Ronald Reagan or some of the Contra operations in Central America who, uh, that were getting support from Moon. In fact, the Washington Times even was raising money for the Contras in, who were the rebel group fighting in Nicaragua. Uh, so we had this, so, that, so I was sort of seeing this strange phenomenon. Also, by the way, the uh, Washington Times became an AP member. Mm. That be, in other words, they subscribed to the Associated Press, and right. the AP term that's called being a member. And that gives you voting power within the within the the operation within the the cooperative as it was called, mm-hmm. and uh, so there was pressure from uh, the, the the from the Washington Times through our bureau chief to tone down what we were writing about in these topics. Um, so there was this it was kind of this very strange relationship. There was um, one point where there was a there was a, 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 a memo posted on our bulletin board at AP that we were not to ever refer to the Washington Times as uh, owned by Reverend Moon huh. because they'd become a member and they objected to this, so we were kind of doing these sort of bending over backwards for them, even when it was an important point to alert the American people when, when, we, when we would use the Washington Times for a story, you know, quote them in one of their articles, we should have obviously tell people this is not just your normal run-of-the-mill newspaper. So my, my dealings with them go back almost to their beginnings when they were, were trying to uh, use their increasing clout in Washington to shut down investigations um, and to protect the Reagan, uh, then later the Bush, the Bush administration, from uh, from critical journalism. Mm-hmm. And they played a very important role. They also, every election cycle, it seemed like, they would come up with some sort of dirty trick type article to, to discredit the, the Democratic presidential candidate. In 88, they pretended that they put out a false story saying that uh, Michael Dukakis had undergone psychiatric care. In 92, they were back uh, trying to help the Bush family by saying that Bill Clinton was a KGB agent. You know, it, it, some of these yeah. things sound a little crazy, well, but and, it was and, the kind of thing that they would inject into the process. And right up to 2008, they were putting out false reports about Barack Obama. Right, exactly. And in 2000, they, did the, they, they, they presented Al Gore as a, as a delusional nut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these things... Then we get circulated through the right-wing echo chamber, which grew increasingly over the years. Uh, the talk radio, or ultimately Fox News, and and so you'd have this you have this kind of uh, echo this not an echo chamber, but almost an ecological system of of propaganda and how the right wing would circulate it. So after I left um, AP and then left left Newsweek in uh, in the nineteen early nineteen nineties. Actually, the mid-1990s, I began an investigation, a lengthy investigation, to sort of update where the uh, moon operations stood, trying to look at it in the context of how they were buying influence in Washington, how they were helping to finance the right, how they were paying off powerful politicians, including, by the way, then former uh, President George H.W. Bush, who was getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from the Moonies to, to give talks to various groups and even front for them when yeah. they were trying to do things. So, so basically, what we were seeing was a powerful uh, propaganda and financial system with money that is uh, that, as you know, going back to the early the 70s when there was an investigation of Koreagate, um, it was clear that this was an organization that was tied with, to foreign intelligence services that was acting as a money laundering front, um, and even when there was direct evidence of their money laundering. Uh, even from people like Reverend Boone's daughter-in-law wrote a book which describes some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this amazing lack of attention. So we tried, well, I tried to give it the attention I thought it deserved 
going back to that period of the 90s, and then I've tried to keep it uh, up to date as best I can. And, um, and your, your lead today. here, Bob, is that the Washington Times now is teetering, that uh, the cash infusions appear to have stopped or uh, dissipated substantially. Uh, the paper is for sale. I can't imagine anyone who would buy it. Um, and, John Gorenfeld, you focused in depth on this in your book, and over $3 billion has been spent to subsidize this uh, right-wing, and I put news in air quotes, uh, operation. Uh, what do you know about the current status and uh, why they don't have that cash coming in to keep it afloat? I think that the Unification Church, the owners, the South Korean owners of the of the paper, uh, just decided that the investment was no longer worth it for them. Um, for so many years, it had really bought so many favors for Reverend Moon in Washington, D.C., um, my claim to fame was that I, I thought that, you know, Bob talked about this amazing lack of attention paid to the fact that this sort of L. Ron Hubbard character of 70s fame was sitting around publishing the conservative newspaper in Washington and nobody was, was talking about it. I, my claim to fame is that I thought that the blog revolution would be a way to break through that and for some time um, got, got a lot of interest uh, in these guys before people lost interest but the was the, the the big the big thing that happened was that in 2004 the the clout that Reverend Moon had in in dumping 3 billion dollars since 1982 into this paper it got him this grand audience at the Dirksen Senate office building uh, in 2004 where uh, members of Congress including Democrats were present while he, they they sort of catered to his fantasy that he was king of America and he, he literally was caught on videotape dressing up in robes like King George III's. And, and Congressman Danny Davis from Illinois brought him a, a shiny crown. And since then, I, I think that that was really the, the peak of, of, of sort of their, the last, the last days of Unification Church glory in Washington, D.C. And since then, there's been infighting among Reverend Moon's sons. Um, word is that some of them are pretty cynical about the religious aspect of the of the call the enterprise <laughs> the enterprise and they've you know to be honest they've they've developed so many other interests in other third world countries and, and, and places that I, I think that the I think that with the the diminishing uh, you know cloud of print media even they've they've just decided yeah this isn't really this isn't really the best thing for us we can we can you know we can make money in South Korea or South America and, and Bob what do you know about this declining interest on the part of the moon family in propping up the paper well, in part, it's, it's that Moon is now 90 years old, and he is no longer really in control of the of all the day-to-day operations as he used to be. And so he's he's handed off a lot of responsibilities to his kids, uh, some of whom have been total screw-ups. Um, the one of the old the oldest son from this marriage, uh, who had been sort of tapped to be the the person to take it over, ended up being essentially a, a cocaine addict and uh, mm-hmm. had to go through rehab, and uh, it was. Bob and abusing his wife. It was uh, Nansa Kong, who later then broke from the church and, and wrote a very revealing book, uh, In the Shadow of the Moons. Um, so you had, you had this, uh, this younger generation, which, uh, as John said, was, was fairly cynical about, even though they'd been groomed to take over, they'd gotten the best education, they'd been sent to some of the best schools. Um, they, they don't really see it in the way that Moon may have seen it. Uh, Moon, Moon came out of a different time frame, he was tied up with some of the, the, the fierce anti-communist regimes in, in Asia, people like Chiang Kai-shek and, of course, the, some of the South Korean leaders who were very right-wing and brutal. 
uh, also tied to some of the drug trafficking uh, uh, governments and, and entities, especially in South America. Uh, so Moon had all these ties that go back to that sort of murky uh, anti-communism stew of, uh, of sometimes ex-Nazis, uh, right-wing ra- racists, uh, as well as you know death squads, and and then of course there are also some more 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 moderate conservatives. But this was a a strange mix that was uh, that operated under the umbrella of the Cold War, and so a lot of things were allowed. Uh, the CIA would look the other way when when some of these groups were tied up with drug trafficking and human rights violations because they saw this bigger picture in their view of, of fighting the Cold War. So Moon was part of all that milieu. And and I think his kids, you know, now the Cold War is over and uh, this looks more to them just like a business, so they're making kind of more business decisions. Plus, plus you also have to remember that a big factor here was that uh, the Washington Times bought Moon protection. He had been he had been exposed in the late 70s for his money laundering and for his involvement with the KCIA mm-hmm. and the Kriegate scandal. That, had, that, had, that, that morphed into a, a criminal case, right. which he was prosecuted in 1982 for, for income tax evasion, and he went to federal prison. He was convicted and went to prison. So at roughly the same time, he started the Washington Times, which made a lot of sense because he needed to have protection for his operation. And, and the Reagan administration um, tried to, to get the prosecutors to, to drop the, the investigation of Moon. They refused. They went ahead with it. Um, but Moon then was able, through the, the increasing power and influence of the Washington Times, to buy himself enormous protection. Uh, and he continued to line the pockets of right-wing operatives and Republicans. He, uh, and he, he bought, influence, especially when they were in trouble, like a, whether when Jerry Falwell's Liberty University was about to go under. Yeah. Moon shows up with three and a half million bucks, uh, funneled through a, a cutout, uh, which was then used to buy up the debt of Liberty University and save Falwell's, uh, one of his, his principal um, base of operation at that time. So Moon was able to do a lot of favors for a lot of powerful people, especially on the Republican side, although not entirely on the Republican side, as John mentioned. And, and that was able to give him the cover he needed for his very curious and clearly illegal involvement with money laundering. And normally, if you had witnesses coming forward openly, sometimes under oath in, in court proceedings and saying there was a major money laundering operation underway, that money was being brought in illegally from overseas and being laundered through various businesses into something like the Washington Times, a, a, which was influencing U.S. politics, that there would be a scandal and there would be outrage. Uh, but because of all this protection that Moon had, had been able to amass, it's been one of these almost untouchable topics. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just going to say um, that it's, it's just incredible to me. I think when I was a naive freelance writer, blogger, first getting into this subject and building really on the shoulders of, of Bob's work and other, other journalists who had, had, had tried to get people interested in this, I think what was so amazing to me is that I, I thought that, the, that, the, that the, the left and the Democrats particularly – would be always eager to use whatever ammunition came up about the other side. And as I got further and further into it, I found out that, no, they weren't actually interested in using it as fodder when, let's say, millions of taxpayer dollars through graft are going to some sort of Reverend Moon Purity League in New Jersey that was receiving funds under the abstinence program. Um, And and curiously, the Democrats have, have really been 
completely quiet about the whole thing. I mean, I, I literally, uh, a couple of years back when I was working on the book, went to an event in San Francisco at the hotel where there was there was this sort of pseudo-United Nations crazy church event where they were, they were talking about establishing their own world government. Um, I mean, obviously all of this is crazy, but... Um, but and you know and there were there were congratulations uh, announced from democratic politicians similarly the the group will trumpet did it include pelosi uh, if no it was a I, san francisco event i don't i don't think pelosi was involved i think mm-hmm. it was senator boxer's office although i can't i can't remember for sure um, uh-huh. but you know i know for sure that the church will claim you know reverend moon just turned 90 we had a grand celebration and congratulations arrived from the president barack obama um, and they, they, nobody in Washington ever seems to distance themselves from this crazy circus. In, in part, though, the Democrats were very hesitant. Uh, Moon made things very uh, ugly for people that did dig up uh, dirt about him. The people um, uh, who were involved in the, uh, in, in the 19, late 1970s Koreagate investigation, people like Congressman Frazier, suffered uh, serious political harm. Um, money was poured in from Moon's operatives, which also were going into right-wing groups even then, uh, to, to try to take out these politicians. And, and the same was true of the, of the prosecutor who went after Moon in 1982. His, his career was badly damaged. He became very controversialized, as the phrase was. Hmm. So you had this, and, and plus, you know, the, the Moon, Moon also would accuse anyone who tried to investigate him of religious bias, Right. Even racial bias because he was Korean. So it was sort of this ugly thing that people didn't really want to take on. It never seemed worth it for people. There was right, always that. There was always that. The, the Reverend Moon and his church always, always assumed this position that they were being persecuted by, by racists, by people who were afraid of new religions. And as you get further into it, it just, it just, it looks as if, you know, the, the fear of cults in the 70s and 80s really went away as it became un-PC under the sort of lobbying efforts of Scientology and other groups, it became un-PC to claim that there was a, a scary cult out to get your children. Instead, the, the Church of Moon really uh, succeeded in selling the media on this new narrative that everybody had, had sort of made a mistake. We were wrong to assume that the Moonies were going to commit mass suicide. Uh, they bought into the, the line that the word Mooney was somehow... Uh, reminiscent of the N word, which is which is which is you know absolutely hokey. I mean, it's really it's really sort of like the word yippee or you know other mm-hmm. coinages of the copy desks of the the seventies. Sure. And nowadays, one of the things that's so amazing, uh, the, the thing Bob was talking about with the um, with the AP not mentioning that the the Times is owned by Moon whenever it comes up. As I've watched news stories about the church, it goes the other way too. And there will be a story about uh, the the mass weddings or something like that. It'll be about the um, you know, whatever, you know, some giant soccer cup that the, the church is funding in South Korea. And it never mentions, oh, by the way, this guy publishes the Republican newspaper. I mean, you, you just can't imagine that. It, he's never mentioned as a media mogul the way Ru- Rupert Murdoch or somebody would be. And, of course, um, you know, henceforth, uh, henceforth, it doesn't appear that he will be much of a media mogul, given what's happening with the Times, but that's another story. Now, do either of you have any knowledge that the Times was used to brush back Democratic politicians to keep them from criticizing it um, by perhaps some unpublished investigations that sat on a desk or on a hard drive uh, waiting for a provocation? Bob? Well, that's, that's always a possibility. Obviously, you don't know what you don't know, as, uh, as Defense Secretary Rumsfeld might say. But Oh, him. Yeah, <laughs> I, always, I always quote him. He's such a, such a reliable fellow. 
But uh, no, I think I think what happened uh, a lot though was when politicians like Demo- say a Democrat, like I say a John Kerry back in the '80s, when he was looking into the contra drug trafficking, which is a very sensitive issue for the Reagan administration. It, you know, it, it, we now know based on the CIA's own reporting in the late '90s, there a report they issued uh, that it was all true and it was much worse than any of us suspected. There, the, the contras were deeply involved in, in the cocaine trade, working with any number of cartels and other and other uh, drug traffickers. Um, so, but when Kerry was sort of sniffing around there, doing a pretty good investigation, um, and being lied to by the by the CIA and by the by the uh, by the by the Reagan uh, administration, as we now know. Uh, he was also under attack from the Washington Times, and they would go after him. First, they went after him because it was supposedly a witch hunt that was baseless. When more evidence was available, then they accused his, his staff, the individual staff members, of obstructing the FBI, which, uh, according to the Washington Times, was seriously trying to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, right. And in fact, they were trying to cover it up. That was a Nixon you know. tactic. Right. <laughs> so, so basically, the Washington Times would sort of put in play all these sometimes contradictory things propaganda themes, but they were very effective. They, 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 you know, if, you're, if you're a staff person being accused of committing a felony, i.e. obstructing justice, that can be very intimidating. And, and also painting John Kerry as a lunatic conspiracy theorist, uh, which is what was done then, was then picked up by much of the mainstream press. And, and going a bit later, when, when, when Gary Webb, uh, from, from your neck of the woods, when he sort of revived the Contra drug story for the San Jose Mercury News in 1996, the first news organization that attacked Webb, basically relying on some old CIA hacks who had been involved in the, in the dirty dealings back in the 80s, when they, when they wrote that first story attacking Webb, then we saw the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Los Angeles Times essentially march in lockstep behind the Washington Times, trashing Gary Webb, ridiculing him, um, leading him ultimately to be discredited enough that his own news organization betrayed him and threw him out. Uh, Ultimately, Gary committed suicide. So you had this, so the Washington Times has proven that it can really um, be effective, in part because uh, the Democrats and the mainstream press have have sort of failed to stand up to it. because of the money, the influence, the, just the nastiness, no one wants to sort of get into that. Uh, it's not really worth it to uh, most journalists or editors or, for that matter, politicians to sort of mix it up with this sort of ugly, nasty group that was willing to say pretty much anything they can think of about you. So I think that's how they operated. But whether they, had, whether they were holding back uh, to sort of make sure the Democrats and others didn't look too close. I think it's more that they had so much influence with the Reagan and Bush crowd um, that no one really dared take them on. Mm -hmm. It became a point of intimidation, which may sound odd, given all this history we're talking about, of who Boone was and what he was up up to. Um, Still, it's how Washington worked. Uh, Bob, early on you made a reference to how the Washington Times was used to feed the news cycle, to feed Republican talking points into the mainstream media. And in the 90s, uh, I was working at KSFO in San Francisco, and one of my stablemates was the syndicated G. Gordon Liddy radio program. He was second to Rush at that point. Hannity wasn't on the scene. Nobody had ever heard of Glenn Beck uh, or any of the others who... Uh, are part of the Rush Army today. And he would spend one hour of his three-hour program every day just reading from the Washington Times. 
<laughs> I mean, it was wow. it was that blatant. And he would say, this is the real news. This is what you need to know. And it comes to you from the only credible paper in the nation's capital. But, but and, even worse than that, Peter, uh, people like Brian Lamb at uh, C-SPAN, who is considered a serious person, who you know, C-SPAN is considered a uh, very moderate, you know, even-handed kind of operation, would right. voiced the Washington Times and you know, during their during some of their programming between sessions of Congress, and they would show this these articles, uh, you know, with yellow highlights, mm-hmm. and, and and it would be, and they wouldn't tell the the C-SPAN viewers that this is coming from. Reverend Moon's newspaper. It was treated like this was a serious yeah. counterweight to the yeah. Washington Post. This was a, Absolutely. This was, well, it's got know, the same name as the New York Times, just a different city. Right. So it yeah. must be as good. Although at times I've sort of wondered, maybe they are as good <laughs> how, how bad the Washington Post has gotten. But, but well, in the, the New York uh, Times, too. In the New York Times, whether there's you know, New York Post, Washington Post, New York Times, Washington Times, it's hard to somebody yeah. pick the, which is better. But, but, but you had this propaganda sheet. Uh, that would um, that would be treated as a very serious journalistic entity, uh, and and its content would be would be uh, given more credence than than say something like the Nation might from the left mm-hmm. or any yeah. any of the other uh, uh, what you might consider counterbalance to at least the political points of view in the Washington Times. No, so, and, oh no, I was just I was just going to say, and I mean, if you can imagine if the heat that the Nation would get if it were owned by the Church of Scientology. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. It's the double standards, endless, endless double standards that we've, we've seen developed over the last 30 or so years where the right can pretty much get away with what it wants, uh, be, partly because it has invested so much in media, and, that's, and that has been a huge dis, uh, uh, imbalance uh, in, in, in the asymmetry that we now have between the uh, right-wing media. Here's, you know, Moon putting in an estimated $3 billion, and that's according to one of his one of his longtime employees at the Washington Times, a guy named Archibald, he, he, he provided that information. That George three billion yeah. $3 billion had been spent on, the, on this newspaper, and others say it's like $2 billion, but still, that's a heck of a lot of money. It's a lot of pocket uh, change. It adds up to a lot. That's a lot of money laundering. Said. I mean, the, the starch alone it's would a lot set of, you back. It's a lot of banana republic <laughs> money, I mean, that we're talking about. And I mean, don't you think that in a lot of ways, the Washington Times just isn't needed anymore because sort of as the republic has declined, we now have Fox News. Fox News is now treated as a legitimate news source by some people. And so the Washington Times was in many ways an early building block of sort of what we have now. Well, I was, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because my next point was going to be to, to ask Bob, who's there on the scene, and if he chooses, can read the Times every day. Uh, has it lost relevance as the a kind of launching pad for right-wing talking points, and has it been eclipsed by Fox News, by uh, bloggers like Andy Breitbart, and by the commercial uh, astroturf operations like Americans for Prosperity and uh, Dick Army's group? Yeah, I think it has. I think I think it's lost its sort of specialness, if you will. When it started in 82 and then through most of that you know, decade or so, it was really the flagship paper of the right. This is where, and, and it, was, it was always a way to put money in people's pockets, too, because you had people writing for it who were, say, think tank people or people in various institutions around Washington who get you know, maybe 500 a 1000 But it was a way to put money into people's pockets and to buy a little bit of, of goodwill. Uh, so it was always this, this money-churning uh, operation, uh, coming, the money coming in from overseas, going through some of their laundering systems and restaurants and other real estate, 
and then being funneled into One Up Corporation, which was then yep. which would then provide them. There were all these this maze of, of money laundering. I mean, it took me years to develop basic literacy with the maze of shell umbrella organizations that the Unification Church is organized into. It's it's incredible. There's a list online that an anti-cult group, freedomofmind.com, keeps, and it's just this incredible list of businesses. They um, still have the seafood operation on the East Coast? Oh, yeah. Well, the seafood operation is the biggest deal right now. I mean, they, they've got a... Um, I, mean, I don't know how much money they need to import. I don't know if you've kept up on this, Bob, but I, uh, uh, on the numbers, but... Um, I mean, I don't even know how much money they need to launder anymore into the country now that their sushi um, monopoly sort of dominates American uh, Japanese food. You can see in major cities their uh, true world food trucks kind of motoring around, providing pretty much every every restaurant that needs a certain grade of tuna. But that was one of their chief money laundering devices, those restaurants. And, and you know, I, I, when I spent this, this time, it was one of the interesting breakthroughs I had in talking to some people who have just recently come out who'd had senior positions in the, in the church organization, uh, people like Madeline Pretorius, um, who would describe in detail how, they, how this money went around and moved through. And, 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 this, and so using that, so it's, always, so it's hard to say. I mean, when you've got money laundering and money's coming in from very curious sources. Very, very curious. Uh, and, and some from Asia, some from South America. Uh, and we know they had major money laundering operations going on in South America, especially in, Equ- in, uh, in Uruguay. So you had um, you had this phenomenon of money uh, being brought into the United States to influence our political process, and and I, it is true. I think, as you said, Peter, I think there's a it, there's now a little redundancy to it, um, uh, partly because the Washington Times was so successful in what it was doing. Uh, there's now this very very vibrant uh, right wing media infrastructure that, mm-hmm. in a sense, generates its own profits. Um, I'm not saying all of them make money, but they, but they, some of them do pretty well for themselves. Obviously, the talk radio guys have gotten super rich, um, and that hasn't happened to some other talk radio people we might know here. <laughs> the, um, so, so I think that phenomenon is uh, is now self-perpetuating. And so, I mean, the interesting thing about the Washington Times story that I thought was kind of it was a bit ironic and funny um, is that uh, according to the Washington, Washington Times r- r- journalists who have survived all the cutbacks. The, the, their their uh, their offices, uh, which are over on in sort of northeast Washington D.C., that um, they're now being infested by snakes oh, yeah, and, and, yeah. and rodents. And I guess I guess there's a little e- ecosystem going on there that the snakes are eating the mice. But but they can't <laughs> afford the exterminators to get rid of these pests. And someone sent me actually a photograph that was taken of their oh. one of their editorial offices of this large black snake <laughs> curled up <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> so. I mean, so you, what, you, what you're seeing is kind of a collapsing uh, system. The pestilence but, but, but is taking that over. Have, that, that may have, you know, uh, it may be like uh, uh, it may be like the uh, the, the, the old the, the snake skin that is left behind. This uh, the, the the right no longer really needs it. Yeah. Oh, that's a great metaphor. <laughs> oh, man. Metaphor of the week. <laughs> but the, the Washington Times building is a completely it's a completely loony place. I mean, when I was working on the book. I took a taxi up there to sort of do a Michael Moore thing and, you know, and show up and try to talk to somebody. And uh, I got a hold of the, somebody on the third floor, which is devoted to these bizarre cult offices that are these sort of like pseudo-important world peace groups. And, you know, of course, they all share the same phone number, sort of like when you have a real estate boiler room somewhere. And I ended up on the phone with some nice lady who was trying to invite me to some sort of... Um, some sort of consortium, some sort of, you know, get-together in the Times Ballroom coming up 
about the future of media. And, they, and I said, okay, sure, I, I guess I'm interested. And the elevator doors opened, and this, very, this sort of lady with a glazed stare came out and handed me this pamphlet. And it was the looniest thing I'd ever seen, and it was, it was an invitation to... It sort of sounded like Stephen Colbert's truthiness, but, but Colbert didn't have a show yet. Yeah. And it was, it was being put on by some fake moon organization called the World Media Foundation or something, or World Media... You know, and it, it, it said, we're going to have these panelists, and one of the panelists was the, you know, the dean of a local journalism school or program, and it said something like, is, is it time in the era of 24-hour news to consider whether the media should stop being watchdogs and instead become guide dogs to, and, and I said that's crazy and they're like well you know do you want to come and I said maybe and I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to go to it but the point is that there was always this just inexplicable intertwining of the Washington Times with all these sort of serious conservatives with their, their people literally on the third floor trying to gain credibility from them for their just absolutely nutty sort of Scientology-esque initiatives well, that's a weird one. It certainly is. Bob, I wanted to ask you to take a moment here to uh, uh, just narrate for people the part of your story that was brand new to me, which was the Bolivia Initiative in 1980 and 1981. Well, one of the most extraordinary aspects of all of this is, um, is how the moon operation from its very origins back in the 60s was tied up with these uh, far-right, often drug-connected, sometimes neo-Nazi operations. Uh, Moon played a key role along with the, the, some of the figures in the Yakuza in Japan, as well as people like Chiang Kai-shek, uh, in setting up what was first the Asian Anti-Communist League, which morphed into the World Anti-Communist League and brought together all these, um, some of these old ex-Nazis with neo-Nazis and uh, death squad people, as well as you know, more legitimate conservatives. And uh, and then Moon spread his operation into into uh, into South America in the 1970s. Uh, and by the time we get to 1980, it's sort of a key year, I think, in this whole uh, in our whole national narrative. Um, the um, there was this operation called Cocaine Coup in Bolivia, and Moon's people were were deeply involved in helping to set it up. Uh, the World Anti-Communist League people showed up to sort of provide assistance. Uh, they, Neo-Nazis from Europe came in to join this operation. The Argentine death squad uh, intelligence services uh, took part. Klaus Barbie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, known as the Butcher of Leon for his work in the Gestapo during, during World War II, he was still around helping, working in Bolivian intelligence. And so this motley crew of, of rather monstrous individuals got together and and overthrew the elected government of Bolivia, killed a number of people involved, um, did torture and rape. It was uh, quite a nasty affair. And basically, they, they uh, Moon's people showed up very quickly to claim their position there. Um, uh, there were uh, 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 some of Moon's top lieutenants. Uh, Bohe Park. Bohe Park was mm-hmm. there. He declared that... The colonel. The colonel, this sort of mysterious gentleman from the old South Korean tyranny that would later be overthrown for today's more relatively democratic South Korea. Yeah, there was that Colonel Colonel Bohe Bo-hee Park. Park was there, right? He he declared that they was going to be a throne, a throne. For, for, for Moon in La Paz, which is the highest you know, highest capital in the, in the world or something, yeah. or at least in the Western Hemisphere. And and so they so they were in bed with these drug drug lords, uh, and and the drug lords people have to realize that the Bolivian Coca product 
during this period was then shipped to a place called Medellin uh, in Colombia and mm-hmm. became the basis for the Medellin cartel, which then flooded the United States with cocaine. Now, it took a while, but um, uh, even the Bush administration, even the Reagan administration, uh, and at least its law enforcement side, couldn't, couldn't stomach what was going on. And eventually the cocaine coup collapsed, and Moon's people rather quickly pulled out. But this is at the same time, around 1982, when suddenly Moon has all this money to start the Washington Times. And, and this, is, this, is like a re- this is sort of a remarkable thing. Where they, and then you, if you follow with the way Moon behaved and his newspaper operated during the 80s, part of its operation was to protect against investigations of these drug connections. The Contras, for instance, were, were from the very beginning tied to this, the same people. They were, they were tied to the Bolivian uh, coca product. They were tied uh, to the Argentine intelligence services that had, that had taken the money from Bolivia, and they were laundering it through. There was an operation they had in, in Miami that then brought the drugs or the, the money to Honduras, where the Contras were being set up. So right from the very beginning, the Contras were under the wing of these drug traffickers. And one of Moon's roles was to help shield this group from any serious investigation. So whenever there was an effort to dig into this and expose it, not only was there the concern about what damage that would do to the Reagan administration for supporting these guys, but it also allowed them to continue. And that drug trafficking, at least in the, although the cocaine coup collapsed uh, in the early 1980s, uh, the, what it had set in motion or helped set in motion continued on through the decade, uh, which we now know because the CIA uh, did a fairly good inspector general's report in the late 1990s and, and described all this. So, so we have this, it's really remarkably well documented, and, but it's part of our history that really nobody knows. It was sort of it's part of the national narrative of that era when we have to, I guess we all have to yeah. spend next year honoring the centennial of Ronald Reagan's birth. Oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, so all this stuff had sort of gone into the memory hole. Yeah, I mean, the entire, was at all. that was the whole thing that I ran against was I felt like anytime you run it against the narrative, you're going to have trouble getting the word out. When you're supporting what people already believe, you have an easier time relatively. And, yeah, I, I think the narrative is that Reagan was fighting, you know, defeating communism in 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 Europe and, and, and Asia, and for some reason we've all collectively agreed not to talk about the, the dirty war stuff in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, and, and for, for me, uh, you know, I came to California in the mid-70s. People were being recruited off the streets of San Francisco to Boonville, which is in Mendocino County, a couple yep. of hours north, and they were being uh, brainwashed into membership in the Unification Church, selling flowers on the street, all that kind of stuff. But it was Colonel Pack and his connection to the KCIA and the ensuing Koreagate uh, scandal in Washington that always left me, uh, you know, very suspicious of Moon's motives and the operation of the Unification Church uh, under tax-exempt status yeah. uh, when it could get it in the United States <clears throat> and uh, using all of these, these businesses uh, that took the place of the flower sales on the street and made it a huge corporate operation. And so it has always amazed me that uh, the Washington Times was permitted to exist and, uh, as you have both pointed out, inject uh, misinformation into the mainstream media without attribution to the source of this. <laughs> no, it's just this. It's just the height of Republican shamelessness. I mean, it really, if someone ever comes up with the the all-time most shameless right-wing uh, things that they've ever done. It is just that 
we're going to publish a, you know, we're going to openly publish a conservative newspaper employing people like Tony Blankley, putting them on television, acting, you know, sort of chilling on TV and not acknowledging that they're being funded by this, you know, felonious guy who people would hire kidnappers to get their kids away from Reverend Moon in the 70s. I mean, it's, it's completely outrageous. And the, the networking we were talking about with the, the right-wing fascists in the anti-communist world, um, it, that was out in the open. They would have reams of publications. Um, you know, General Alexander Haig, the late Al Haig, wrote the foreword to the creepy Colonel Bohe Pack's book of speeches about mostly underscoring their, their, their idea that Reverend Moon ought to be in charge of a world government with democracy, you know, being destroyed under his, his rule, this sort of Marvel Comics villain stuff that was just outrageous. And, and the fact that the mainstream media didn't make this more of a scandal, it was just this incredible chutzpah where at first it was outrageous. At first you had Chris Matthews, who was then... Uh, spokesperson for Tip O'Neill, the House Speaker, and he was saying, he was saying, you know, I can't believe that anyone would treat Reverend Moon seriously as a newspaper man in 1982. But you know, in classic conservative style, they just plowed ahead until everybody lost interest. And by the time I came upon the subject uh, as a freelancer a few years back, editors, even at liberal publications, would say, "Oh, this is old news." And it wasn't old news to me. I said, every time I tell people. Oh, by the way, the Washington Times is owned by this, you know, maniacal billionaire cult leader from South Korea. They'd say, "What? Really?" <laughs> People want to know about these things, but it has just never been, you know, this is just part of the crazy Washington DC worldview that it's like, "Oh, well, you know, it, it's it's not really, you know, it, this is just something we treat as perfectly normal." So, Bob, as we wrap up here, what is the current status? Uh, they still selling it for a quarter in the machines in Washington and is circulation uh, measurable at this point? Well, circulation is down according to their own numbers, and they and they certainly are not. Uh, they don't really have the clout they they once had. Uh, they're, they've laid off much of their staff. They've narrowed their focus of what they're covering. Um, but it's you know it's still around, and I guess they're hoping to uh, to sell it. They've uh, they they put out a statement last week, which the Washington Post mentioned in this article about the the snakes infesting the the building. <laughs> Uh, they also the uh, Washington Times said they were hoping to find someone to partner with or to buy it, and it's certainly possible that some uh, some conservative deep pocket will come along and and salvage it. Uh, although right now it looks like it's uh, it's in sort of a death spiral. And Anschutz uh, is this Denver billionaire who has it's started insane. up examiners across the country. Right. There is a Washington examiner. Right. Is there any business sense in in merging or? in uh, Anschutz taking over the Washington Times for a, a subscriber list or printing presses or any, anything of value? Well, the best I can tell, the examiner is sort of given away. I mean, I have to sort of pick it up off my lawn. It gives me <laughs> throwing copies on my lawn like most people around here. Um, so, and I think they give it away at the subways and things like that. So, uh, which, so it's essentially a free paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not um, they, uh, Anschutz or someone else would decide that it's, it's worth sort of Merging with the Washington Times—that's certainly a possibility. I just don't know if uh, if that's what they, what someone would consider a good business decision. Yeah. Well, Bob Perry, thank you for joining us today at ConsortiumNews.com. You can read how Reverend Moon's snakes infested the U.S. I will link to it in the show file at PeterBCollins.com, and we'll also reference John Gorenfeld's excellent book, *Bad Moon Rising*, subtitled "How Reverend Moon Created the Washington Times, Seduced the Religious Right, and Built an American Kingdom." 
A uh, little uh, subtitle over creep there, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm I'm retitling it for Kindle release, by the way. So, yeah. What know. What will it be called? Um, I'm debating between the King of America and Father's Day because Reverend Moon uh, is known as the true father to his right. followers. Yeah. Well, John, great to see you again. Thanks for joining me today. Bob uh, Perry, thanks. we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bob. And thanks for joining us for this exciting episode of the Peter B. Collins Show. Send a copy to Reverend Moon and email me, Peter, at PeterBCollins.com. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails